Welcome, listeners, to www.ironradio.org, the website and podcast for all things strength sports and sports nutrition. With your hosts, Lonnie Lowry. Remember, Phil is like a gnarled old oak tree held together with scar tissue and bone spurs. Rob Fortney. And I'm telling you, the pain that I would suffer was beyond excruciating. And Phil Stevens. Do it, Rob. You'll kill all those nerves. Thanks for listening. Welcome, IronRadio.org listeners. This is Lonnie Lowry. Uh, I'm a bodybuilder. I'm a nutrition and exercise physiology professor. Uh, and I have pneumonia. How about that? Ooh. Pneumonia? That's so fun. Yeah. And don't forget also, man, your nickname, Rock Solid. I will prevail. I will defeat this nasty microorganism in my lungs. There you go. Rob Fortress Fortney, uh, former competitive bodybuilder. Former editor at Muscle Mag International, all-around sexy man, and a powerlifter. You're going to be 2012 sexiest man of the year. I'm, I'm, I'm uh, for it. I know, I know. You and Brad Pitt, it's close running, I think. Uh, <laughs> this is Phil Stevens. I'm the uh, founder and operator of Strength Guild, strengthguild.com, liftforhope.org, uh, and several other things, I guess. I'm a strength coach and a powerlifter and Highland Games athlete. Is there right anything on. you don't do? No, there's not. No, not much. <laughs> Renaissance like, man, right there. Exactly. Artist. Art, art science. Yeah, you're you're are you're a resident Renaissance man. He is. Exactly. He's got it I all. Create create T-shirts and DVDs and make paintings <laughs> and make people big and strong. So nice. Right. nice. Yeah, make people big and then clothe them. Right. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. There you go. Hey, listen, I've I've got a couple of uh, uh news blurbs. Strength and Muscle Sport News. Now, one I just wanted to bring up, and I di- I'm not prepared to discuss this. It's just something I saw in the news this morning. Did you guys see this thing? There's this Danish group. They're um, a sperm bank, and they're in the news. Oh, because yeah, yeah. Did you see this? Because apparently I, there was this big blurb about Vikings spreading across the world, you know, raping and pillaging and sowing their seed, and how in a modern, less violent way, you know, Apparently, some of these these sperm banks are they have too much uh, <laughs> they have too much sperm on hand from especially redhead people of Viking descent or something like that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. and uh, I just thought this that was that was sort of funny because with the whole Viking link and everything, you know, the technology is letting Vikings sow their seed again, sort of. Or I don't know. I was actually reading uh, the uh, the little piece on the in the newspaper about that, and I was actually starting to dry heave a little bit. Because yeah. the director for the place was like, yeah, we have like, I don't know what he said, 700 liters of semen. I'm like, I know. <laughs> it, it becomes hard to, to deal with. Oh, speaking of which, <laughs> speaking of which, there was a, a comment uh, uh, just two weeks ago from one of our listeners. And he said, what's up with the, the anti-gay comment from uh, Dr. Lowry? And I just oh. want to point out, right, I said fruit cake, meaning, okay, again, Go to the Urban Dictionary. It doesn't just mean gay. It can mean, you know, off base or, you know, insane or off your rock or even flighty. But that doesn't mean I'm anti-gay. I've had some friends who were bisexuals and gay before. I don't, let's not go there. If you remember, we were talking about the 300 film and about how, you know, it was masculine. It wasn't gay undertones or something. But anyway, you so know, if but I say fruitcake, I, mean, I don't mean gay. Come on. I also want to say, 
further to that, then come on, man. We're Iron Radio here. You're Iron Radio listeners. Um, let's let's not be like the rest of society and be so on a hair trigger to you know to call out things when when you know the intention was not that. Yeah, you know, and, and make no mistake. He wasn't he wasn't rude or anything. Oh and, no, no, and I, I appreciate it. You know, fine. People can try to keep us in check a little bit, but only loosely. So you're right. This is Iron Radio. Let's not be too overly sensitive about things. I mean, I, I can honestly say that none of us here have uh, are, are ripping on homo, uh, you know, homosexuals at all. No, uh, I, 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 quite honestly, my opinion has always been, you know, a person's sexual proclivities. <laughs> it's none of my business, and it doesn't concern me. So. Not at all. You know, so who right. cares? That makes no damn difference. To hey, anybody. listen, though, I've got a related word to that news blurb. I was, uh, I teach a pathophysiology course, and I stumbled across some words. Rob, I know you, you and Phil will appreciate these. We're just talking about Vikings. Here are some medical words that might surprise you, okay? I've never done this before in the podcast, but these were too funny and sort of cool. I couldn't pass them up. Schistocormus. That means, well, I'll let you guess. What's schistocormus? Do you have any idea? Jeez, oh, I don't know. Cleft thorax. Huh. Wow, as in chopped. Yeah. <laughs> and the related word is schistocephalus, cloven skull. Wow. <laughs> so nice. I figured Rob with his hail and kill would appreciate some, uh, you know, the medical terminology. We're, again, we're, if we're going to modernize Vikings sowing their seed, uh, now we're modernizing the... Uh, <laughs> you know, you should send those words for uh, cloven skull and cloven thorax. You should wow. you should be sending uh, those terms to the guys in the band Manowar. I'm sure they would include it in their next album on the lyrics. Yeah, I can see that the, the album title Schistocephalus. <laughs> <laughs> nice, nice. So, oh, okay. uh, you, you know, I, I think it's uh, <laughs> important that we do acknowledge the fact that this past uh, weekend was the Mr. Olympia weekend. Um, and, uh, I don't know, I don't know if some of you were watching it live on that free simulcast on the, the web, I think it was Muscular Development doing it, um, but Phil Heath is now the new Mr. Olympia, so he, uh, thwarted Jay Cutler's attempts to, uh, earn himself a fifth Mr. Olympia title. What do you and, think about that, Rob? Are you happy about that, or? Uh, yeah. Indifferent, it, or? No, I'm, per- I, well, certainly let's put it this way, um, there's Jay Cutler definitely should not have won. So uh, at least um, there was another huge scandal um, avoided. And it, to anybody who has you know uh, followed to any degree or has any knowledge of the Mr. Olympia history, there certainly has been several very you know bad scandals that that have you know rocked the limit, legitimacy of that competition. I mean, even dating back to you know the 70s and so forth when uh, you know Frank Colombo re. re- Gained his title in eighty right. one. Um, when 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 Arnold did the comeback, yeah, he was getting quite a bit. But then when Franco followed it up in eighty one, it's like okay, yeah, yeah. 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 But the but the official um, <laughs> um, scorecard says uh, Phil Heath, Jay Cutler two, Kai Green three. Somebody had him as a potential winner, and certainly he had the size. I don't. Yeah, think we had he discussed was, that. Yeah. yeah, he just I don't think he had he was the condition they needed to be in. Four Victor Martinez. Uh, fifth, Dennis Wolf, uh, Dexter Jackson, Tony Freeman, Brandon Curry, Ronnie Raquel, um, and then 10 through 16, a bunch of guys who, and, and I don't really mean this in a mean way, but truthfully, a majority of those guys really didn't deserve to be on the Lemister Olympia stage um, at all. Um, and, and I think Jay Cutler, um, from my observations, um, his 
his back was was relatively soft. He had uh, really bad wrinkles in his low back. He had um, asymmetrical uh, deltoids. One was bigger than the other. Um, his legs were certainly down in size. One specifically. Um, what else? Of course, he does have an ugly midsection. It's always been kind of wide, but that hasn't been as much of an issue because he had such big wheels. But like I said, the wheels have been shrinking steadily the last few years. Um, and yeah, there's there's really no way that any. Oh, and he had some funky thing going on in his left biceps that um, everybody immediately spotted as being a, a bad injection of some oil or some type. But he oh, claimed yeah. that a couple weeks before he had injured it at some sort of muscle tech. Um, photo shoot. I don't know what the hell's going on there. And he heard a pop, but it was only during the night of Olympia that the bruising started coming through. Um, but there was definitely something suspect going on there. Sometimes, um, sometimes I wonder if those guys, you know, with the little pockets of oil and and all that kind of stuff, if there's not some tissue necrosis there, you know, where the muscle becomes permanently deformed. You just got a little bit of you know muscle fiber destruction or something, and it, like you said, then it just looks bizarre. Or maybe it just looks lumpy because all the synthol or whatever's in there, you know. And I've got some and pictures. I've got pictures of amateur guys walking around the Arnold Classic that are positively lumpy because they you know they've got oh, synthol injections. It's retarded. It, it, in some of, in some of the countries like. Um, I mean, I've seen endless photos of a lot of these guys, um, guys who are not competitive bodybuilders at all, injecting tons of this stuff into themselves, and they just look beyond ridiculous. Or even so, silicon, you know, like Greg, right? Oh, yeah. I mean, and I just saw a video. I mean, this stuff is infiltrating even the low, low, low levels of competitive bodybuilding, because I just saw a video two or three days ago. Uh, it's on YouTube. I, I can't remember what the name of it is, but... but these guys are turning to the rear, several guys on the thing to do their rear double biceps. And this guy's very dubious looking deltoid, when he throws up his arms to do the rear double bicep, it actually on stage starts leaking. And you can Ugh. see the stuff dripping down his oh, arm. Oh my god. And, and he, and he shakes his head, um, you know, in obvious embarrassment and walks off the stage. I mean, this, it's getting ridiculous, really. <laughs> oh, my God. Well, that's going to set up later, folks. We're going to talk about our topic of the day, which is polypharmacy in, in muscle sports. Yeah. Uh, it's how we're sort of – we're uh, – uh, what's a good word? We're we're not elegantly, you know, uh, marrying technology very well yeah. in incorporating some of this stuff. But 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 back to the Mr. Olympia for a little bit. Um, Phil Heath, um, he gets ripped on a lot for being narrow, certainly in comparison to a guy like Jay Cutler. But um, I don't see it as being that much of an issue. Certainly, and some people say he's, you know, the the, the perfect example of a guy who's, you know, over um, insulin. Aided. Um, I don't really know why so much, but I, I think certainly I don't think that he shouldn't have won. And like I say, for sure, Jay Cutler couldn't have won with all um, you know things considered. And like I say, Kai Green, no, Victor Martin, Dennis Wolf, forget it. I mean, he looks good in some front shots. Um, he has an amazing upper body in his front posing shots, and his rear back shots are pretty good. But he just doesn't. Ha- I mean, he has almost in relative terms, he has no calves and. Um, there are definitely things missing there. And like I said, I mean, a lot of people have said as well that they think this is the uh, one of the weaker Mr. Olympia lineups ever, and I, I thoroughly um, agree with that. I think that um, something needs to be done um, on the lower levels of the NPC and so forth to kind of get... I mean, the, the pools of talent that they're letting in, they, or at least they need to more, be more stringent for who gets 
um, you know, invited to the Mr. Olympia to keep it at a higher, you know, caliber of performance. But um, the the 202 pound winner was um, who? Phil? Ugh, I lost it. I think um, you said Kevin English. Yeah, that's it. Kevin English and um, Iris Kyle uh, won what I believe was her seventh Miss Olympia title. So, um, so there you go. That that was the result, and uh, like I said, it was it was kind of a kind of a boring show to be honest with you. I think they need to shake things up a bit, you know. I think they need to. Uh, people have been saying things on on uh, different muscle message boards, saying things like, you know, they need to, you know, have billboards in Vegas and so forth, advertising it. They need to move it back into the Mandalay Bay, you know, uh, where it certainly had a little bit more prestige. Um, yeah. Things like that. They need to shake these things up a bit because honestly, it's it seems like they're kind of just resting on you know the the, the template that they've been running it for and for now like twenty plus years. Um, Actually, you know, Rob, one of the things that I wanted to discuss, because I think I had to edit part of this out of a recent episode, but uh, the the light guy class, you said it's a 202 class? Is that yeah, what I mean? 202, yeah. Uh, guys like Kevin English, now I don't, for all I know, he's more cookie cutter, you know, than completely outside of the box, you know, new and fresh looking dude. I don't know. So many guys look the same these days because of the polypharmacy going on. But the point being is, I think that's a good direction to take. Because eventually we're going to have guys so enormous that it's not even exciting or, you know, to use my frequent word, heroic anymore. You know, when guys are cramping up and they're quivering masses, I mean, if it's, if they're in shape at 300, I mean, seriously, let's, let's take this to its, you know, extent. What if they're 400 pounds with no body fat? That's stupid. Okay. That's not even, I'm a body, and that's, I, that's stupid. So maybe something like a 202 class would breathe a little bit of, uh, excitement into the sport because you can actually see differences in structure on these guys you know yeah but something also tells me that um the last couple of years the size thing has actually taken a downturn um you know i mean ever since you know ronnie and guys like that have been now out of the uh the scene for that um it seems to be less of a race to get bigger and bigger i mean i think jay cutler even was probably down in size well certainly his legs were but i mean you know, and when you look at guys like Phil Heath and those types of guys, I mean, they're not, they don't nearly care the body weight that they used to, but still, there's something that's being, that, that's missing in a lot of these physiques, and I think it has a lot to do with what we're going to talk about today, which is, as you put it, polypharmacy, um, and the work ethic. I mean, when some guy who trains for, you know, less than several years, um, can walk on the Mr. Olympia stage and place very well, if not win it, um, to me that shows something Lacking in the work, not the work ethic per se, because certainly somebody can work, have great work ethic and only train for five years, but you, you almost have to earn your dues. And, and, and I don't think anybody, regardless of how great their potential and their genetic response is, I don't think anybody really justifiably can walk on, should be able to walk on a Mr. Olympia stage after five years, you know, and, and, and again, I, I'm not singling out anybody in particular, um, I'm just saying this This has been and continues to be the case um, in the last several Mr. Olympias. And I think that's why, again, ultimately you're seeing what I said earlier, which is, you know, weakening lineups and, uh, you know, a lessening of um, what is presented as the, the best of the best. I mean, because Mr. Olympia is always said to be the, you know, the Super Bowl of bodybuilding. And, and people are, there was arguments right after the Olympia, people saying, has the Arnold Classic usurped the Mr. Olympia as the, you know, preeminent prestigious bodybuilding competition just because of the, you know the quality that seems to be you know and, and truthfully told 
and Lonnie, I think you know you can agree with me. The, the Arnold Classic has been that the, the bodybuilding um, show certainly has been um, almost neck and neck in a lot of ways as far as the way a lot of bodybuilders kind of perceive it versus the Mr. Olympia. I, I um, think, and obviously, if you're you know the expo that goes with the Mr. Olympia has, in a way, followed the Arnold Classic. You know, without trying, doubt, trying it has to more yeah. like that. You know, absolutely, it has without question. Arnold Classic. I think they see that, right? They see the Arnold Classic with fifty thousand people or whatever it is walking around, and a lot big part of that's the trick or treat expo. You know, and yeah. uh, they they want to play that. Yeah, no, there's no question. So, yeah, yeah. I should also add. Uh, just as a very early sneak peek, it looks like, uh, listeners, that uh, the three of us are likely to actually be uh, at a booth at the next Arnold Classic. So we're working on a, a few uh, arrangements right now so we can make some appearances at at least one booth. Uh, and that'll be fun. It'll be the first time we've done that. We, maybe we'll do some live recording or something like that or, uh, you know, some giveaways and things like that, because I know that's why people go there. So if you're in striking distance, driving distance of Columbus, Ohio, think about the Arnold this year. Maybe we'll be the, you know, some of the extra freebies or, or cool stuff that uh, push you over the top and get you to actually go out. So we're going to shake things up a bit. We're going to we're going to uh, attack the Muscle Tech booth with water balloons. I'm about to get my swole on before we get there, so I'm all. Oh, big. definitely, we're gonna have to get totally yeah. dialed in, guys. Yeah. Oh yeah, I, I'll carry. I'll, I'll bring the distilled water. We can each carry a gallon jug of distilled water, even though we're not competing. You know. <laughs> nice. And, and some dioderm. You know, I'll, I'll, oh, I'll yeah. paint us up. I'll paint up Rob, so you know he'll look like a brown refrigerator instead of a white one. <laughs> Three hundred pound rectangular mass. Okay. Right, let nice. me. Are you me, calling in to question my my superior symmetry and proportions? <laughs> I think you've uh, just not been your focus for, uh, what, <laughs> two decades now? <laughs> <laughs> not a focus, that's all. Okay. Um, I just wanted to share a news blurb here. This is not um, as recent as some of the news, um, but this is a, a very thematic study uh, that's still uh, less than a year old. Uh it's called Going from Strength to Strength, Effect of Growth Hormone on Muscle. So this is from uh, Science Daily. It says, growth hormone is used to treat children's growth disorders, as has been used by some sportsmen and women to promote muscle growth and regeneration. This is because it coordinates skeletal muscle development, nutrient uptake, and nutrient use. It is not clear, however, which of these effects are directed and which are indirectly mediated by growth hormone itself as opposed to IGF-1. Now, this is something that's interested me for a long time because um, not all of growth hormone's effects are through IGF-1. People who aren't initiated in this, the idea is that you know, if, if you um, stimulate growth hormone release from your own pituitary gland or if you inject it, a lot of its effects are through uh, and it's sort of an intermediary hormone called insulin-like growth factor 1. Uh, anyway, it says, now, however, a team of researchers led by Thomas Clemens at John Hopkins uh, in Baltimore has used mice engineered to lack their skeletal muscle, uh, the molecule to which growth hormone binds. So I'm actually going to go read the real abstract of this because this is sort of uh, dumbed down. Anyway, it says the authors hope that additional work uh, will lead to some better knowledge about uh, and better results on uh, the ability to guide more informed use of growth hormone and growth hormone analogs for promoting muscular development and 
uh, reducing muscle loss. Obviously, science is interested in this for things like muscle wasting diseases and not, you know, becoming a 300 pound quivering mass of, uh, of muscle tissue. Uh, now, if you look at the actual abstract, I think it, it, it's more uh, informative. Skeletal muscle development, nutrient uptake, and nutrient utilization is largely coordinated by GH and its downstream effectors, in particular IGF-1. However, it is not clear which effects of, of GH on skeletal muscle are direct and which are secondary to GH-induced IGF-1 expression. Thus, we generated mics lacking either the GH receptor or the IGF-1 receptor, specifically in their skeletal muscle. Both exhibited impaired muscle development, characterized by reductions in myofiber number and area. So muscle fiber number and area, lower, because, again, they don't have the receptors to respond to these hormones, uh, as well as accompanying deficiencies in functional performance. Hmm. Defective skeletal muscle development in both the GH receptor-deficient and IGF-1 receptor-deficient mutants was attributable to diminished myoblast fusion. So you get the you know baby cells. They're not sort of uh, fusing and donating their nuclei and making bigger fibers. Uh, strikingly, mice lacking the growth hormone receptor developed metabolic features that were not observed in the IGF-1 deficient mutants, including marked peripheral adiposity. So little boogers got fat. Insulin resistance and glucose intolerance. It says insulin resistance in GH receptor deficient myotubes derived from reduced uh, protein abundance and increased inhibitory phosphorylation. And now they're talking about different pathways. I won't bore you. These results identify distinct signaling pathways in muscle fibers through which GH receptors regulate skeletal muscle development and modulate nutrient metabolism. That is some chewy stuff right there. It is, but... And, and again, I usually don't read a whole abstract, but the idea here is that they're essentially uh, proving, maybe not my favorite word, but uh, that GH has different effects from just IGF-1. And uh, for the longest time, you know, there's been good data that GH was part of the extreme leanness that you see and not just the muscle growth. But here it looks like muscle size and number and everything is just... Uh, you know, fiber number impaired if you don't have both GH and IGF-1 working in concert, basically, and they have different, right. you know, biochemical pathways. So, and obviously, and I, remember I, the whole I think a lot of bodybuilders are using it for leanness anyway, and not just for size, but it's one of those extremely rare hormones that's going to cause both, right? Massive muscle or muscle growth or, unfortunately, organ growth, too, but, and lipolysis, massive fat loss, because not most, most a, drugs don't do both, you know. Not to, not to mention just a, just a, a overall enlargening of the person, period. I mean, you you got to throw that in there, too, because there's no doubt that when guys are using high amounts of GH and all that type of thing, that they're, they're you know what I mean? It's not just a muscle volume that's increasing. There's actually, it almost appears like the skeleton itself is getting larger. Well, I think that's totally true. I mean, that's why, yeah. you know, one of the side effects is, you know, joint pain and stuff like that. Right, or acromegaly, where they get yeah. thickening of the brow. Exactly. Right. Yeah. Well, let's face it. It's a it's a growth. It's a global kind of growth hormone, you know. And that's why, like, for example, a lot of people don't uh, maybe uh, realize this, but people who are in their 20s, when you exercise, you get a big spike in growth hormone if the exercise is intense enough. But by the time you're middle-aged and older, that becomes sort of a sad little blip, unfortunately. Uh, in fact, the first study I was ever in, that's what we were doing. There was an arginine and ornithine study back in the day when arginine was sold as a GH releaser, not, not necessarily NO stimulator or something. 
And uh, I was in the 20-something group at the, group at the time, massive GH, you know, secretion during intense exercise. And the 30 and 40-something-year-old guys, almost nothing. Uh, so I, once you're middle age, you know, most of your GH, two-thirds are, are better, really comes about 90 minutes after sleep, the onset of sleep. Uh, mm. But anyway, so it, it is interesting to, to look at some of this kind of stuff because, like you said, it, it's overall growth. It's skeletal growth. It's muscle growth. What I've always found was just very interesting, though, is it's also extreme uh, lipolysis, you know, and fat breakdown. And usually that's attributed yeah. to uh, more stimulant or thyroid type things that aren't hugely anabolic. So growth hormone is a very unique kind of hormone. Yeah. Wow. No, that's interesting. Like I said, pretty chewy, but I appreciate it. you broke it down a little bit for us because uh, not all of us are scientists like you are, Lonnie. That's true. Okay. Smart guy. <laughs> <laughs> And I, I always thought it was cool because it, it does sort of go back and forth. Like I think in a normal range, is GH just something that you're hoping to get a surge of when you're young for leanness purposes? And if you think about it, I think it, from a practical standpoint, we can all agree that middle-aged guys can put on lots of muscle mass. Uh, as you age, it's not so much your ability to, loot, to gain ma- muscle mass that becomes problematic. It's your ability to stay quite as lean as you were uh, when you were 22. Well, sure. Know? Sure. And well, look at look at guys like GH, maybe you know. Well, look at guys like Sylvester Stallone, and I'm not like letting the cat out of the bag here because I I I do believe that he's admitted to to its use. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. A lot of these older guys, you know, that's kind of like their their go to hormone drug of choice. You know, to to again to keep. I mean, look how lean that guy is. I mean, he's well, wasn't he raving? I think when he got busted coming back from Australia with a large amount, and it really uh-huh. makes me wonder. You know, because he's famous, that's just okay. Just go, go, yeah. put the vials back on the shelf, and you'll, you're okay. And if, uh, if that was not a famous person, they would have gone away. I yeah. think. Yeah. Well, uh, yeah he was sure. raving about. You know, you don't understand. This is amazing. It's, it's, it's completely reversing my aging. And look at my physique. And, and you know, and uh, there was a lot of that in the news. Yeah. And I yeah. think a lot of that is probably true. And you, of course, you get these like Mexican GH clinics and stuff. People go down there to try to <clears> specifically, you know, put back a hormone that's just not oh, yeah. very much. No, there's a lot of, you know, the anti-aging clinics are getting really huge now, too. Yeah. I mean, I've, I've had clients that are in their 60s and 70s. Well, now, actually. And I've seen them transform. Oh, yeah. Several yeah. years. And look, you know, they're not they're not doing bodybuilder doses. They're replacing kind of what was lost. And the, the skin tone, the hair, the nails, the, you know, just uh, less wrinkles and things. And yeah, that's a... Uh, <laughs> Well, hey, kind of a fountain of youth type thing. But. We often say, you know, that the general public can take uh, certain clues from the strength crowd. Yeah. And let's face it, I mean, things like Androgel or, you know, the, like you said, the GH clinics and stuff, if they're going to gain popularity, it's going to be through something that everybody wants because then yeah. suddenly the opinions change. Now it's not yeah. cheating because, right, yeah. because yeah. I get to use it, you know? Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. I, I, yeah. Th- that's the kind of, I was going to say that, but I was trying to feel the words to say it, but you nailed it right there. You yeah. know, it, 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 so often, you know, what, what is acceptable and what's not acceptable comes down to you, you know, how many people want it. Want it. And, yeah. you know, and, and, if, if all these people realize that the things that these cheating athletes are doing can help them, you know, just, you know, like you say, as Phil says, lose some wrinkles or in, increase the, you know, their hair lustrousness or the, you know, a decreased body fat or, I mean, all of a sudden it's like, oh, well, I, we guess it's not too bad. 
And then from that point... They reconsider. Yeah, and then from that point, it's only a few inches before. It's like, you know, like you say, you have legal clinics doing it and all this kind of stuff. I mean, because truthfully, I mean, think about it. You can go and you can get fake boobs. You know, you can get fake pectorals. You can get liposuction. You can do all these types of things. You know, women can who are on menopause can get hormone therapy. All these things are fine. Nobody, you know, nobody thinks anything of it. But, you know, it, it, a guy like Sylvester Stallone, Takes him a little bit of GH because he doesn't want to be, you know, he wants to be nice and lean, and everybody's like, "Oh my God!" It's now he's so, on the front page. Yeah. It's so scandalous. It's like, oh, what, what's you know, that's more scandalous, like I said, than some woman choosing to put under her skin big bags of saline or something to enhance her breasts. I mean, again, I'm not making judgments. I'm just saying. I mean, it's so often the case. And well, I'll tell you one thing: is at least. And again, I'll probably get a lot of heat for this, but when it comes to testosterone or GH replacement, you know, within a physiologic range, let's face it, stuff like androgel, it's really hard to actually abuse that stuff. I mean, you'd have to bathe in the stuff. You know what I mean? It's not like an injection. And I think that's one of the reasons, although it's very expensive, it's pretty popular. And with the GH, like again, if we talk about more physiologic levels as opposed to super physiologic, then you're not going to get 300 pound Rip to shreds, grandmas out there, or something. You know, here's a thought. <laughs> but, but, and, and I'll tell you else too. I, I mean, it because of the hyper physiology, you know, physiologic doses that some of the uh, bodybuilders or even, I guess, powerlifters uh, do uh, partake in. You know, that a lot of that stuff, like Phil said, it's overall growth. That's where you would run into some side effects, you know, because once your bones have reached maturity, you're, you know, you're going to start laying down bone mass in weird places. You know, yeah. you'll get fanny rooster elbows or a Cro-Magnon brow or something or, yeah. you know, Kevin Yaroshevsky, who actually came out of the same lab that I did you know, in Ohio at Kent State there. He's done, he did a lot of the seminal work with growth hormone and, uh, alone he was showing that, you know, unfortunately it seemed to, preferentially stimulate organ growth. So, you know, a lot of bodybuilders read, oh, nitrogen retention, I'm going to retain some nitrogen or increase protein synthesis. It's like, yeah, whoa, guys, of what? You know, of your intestines, of your liver, you know, gross, you know. And I, and I think that's where some of these guys, like you were saying earlier, Rob, they, they overdo it to such an extent. There's all, you know, there's there's probably, at least aesthetically, there's no going back. Yeah, yeah. Let's uh, let's take a quick break and when, then we'll uh, come back with our topic of the day. What do you think? Yeah, that sounds good. Sounds good. Hi, this is Dr. Lonnie Lowry, and on behalf of Phil and Rob, I'd just like to let listeners know that if you love us or you hate us, we'd like you to leave a comment or perhaps vote for us on iTunes. It helps us out quite a bit on the popularity side of things. Uh, you can also follow... Dr. Lowry, me, on Twitter. Uh, it's Lawnman7 on Twitter if you want to do that. We also have a Facebook page, the Iron Radio uh, listeners page. So uh, whether it's leaving a comment or voting for us or following us on Twitter or Facebook, uh, that would be fantastic. Also, uh, occasionally Rob or myself will write an article for another website, and Phil will as well. So lots of ways to um, interact uh, follow us in other media and vote for us and uh, keep things going strong on Iron Radio. Thanks. Like your weekly fix of Iron Radio? In addition to being a popular institute on iTunes, we are also on email. 
Simply go to www.ironradio.org and sign up for the voluntary email. You'll get a once-per-week email, no more, that's little more than the show notes and a link to the audio. So go for it. Welcome back, listeners. This is Rob and Lonnie and Phil. And today's topic is polypharmacy and strength sports. And we've talked about uh, drugs a little bit before. But I think I, what we'll do is I'll start by just running down a brief drug list about the kinds of drugs that people in strength sports use, bodybuilding, powerlifting uh, primarily. But obviously androgens are usually the staple. And a couple of episodes ago, uh, Rob was wowing even Phil and I with the amount of uh, – you know, the doses that he's seen used with different, you know, uh, anabolic, androgenic, just the typical steroid uh, drugs. Uh, there's growth hormone, and there's IGF-1, and there's insulin, and all of the four things that I just mentioned really seem to have synergistic effects when you put them together. Uh, I was mentioning Kevin Yurashevsky in organ mass before the break, uh, but he also pointed out to me once after a conference that there was one older gentleman who was on testosterone replacement therapy in one of his studies, and he got the usual GH dose with everybody else, and he said this old guy just literally transformed, muscular, lean. So there's definitely something going on with the interplay between androgens and GH and IGF-1 and insulin. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, yeah. beta, beta agonist drugs. Let me just get through the list here. So lots of different, you know, adrenaline-like or adrenergic drugs like clenbuterol and uh, ephedrine and all that kind of stuff. Thyroid meds, obviously, diuretics, and then the even newer edge stuff that I'm not even as familiar with, like some of the interleukins or five, ten years down the road, maybe even gene transfections. I mean, I've seen wild studies about local local effects of injecting, you know, different uh, genes and getting basically gene therapy, you know, can you imagine, you know, give a, put a shot into your gastroc and boom, now you got calves, you know, for some of these guys who don't. <laughs> wow. Some wild stuff like making muscle tissue secrete growth hormone like it was a pituitary gland. Oh, my God. Wild stuff. And if you yeah. think this stuff isn't true, guys, I show data slides in my classes where they put the luciferase gene that's the what makes fireflies' butts glow into mice, and the mice glow. I'm not kidding. Whoa. So make no mistake, the gene transfection. If we talk about the end of the quest for size, that's going to be it, you know, yeah. because that's literally any muscle you want, as big as you want, when you want, uh, and it's apparently even partly reversible or completely reversible. So outrageous. But anyway, let's talk about what what some of the strength guys are uh, doing now. Now, you guys were enlightening me a little bit before recording that uh, I was sort of under the impression that maybe powerlifters weren't using tons of GH like the bodybuilders, and maybe that's why they weren't getting such screwed-up physiques. But you guys are saying, yeah, they they are using, huh? Well, I I certainly think that um, even well beyond the potential of powerlifters using, I think a lot of strongmen in particular would – because, you know, in powerlifting, you can kind of, um, you know, um, conform to a weight class or so forth. And certainly upper echelons of strongman competition, um, you know, whether you're six foot one and 320 pounds or six foot nine and 460 pounds, you're kind of going head to head. So in strongman, it, it really would, um, think about it, give a huge advantage to somebody who, again, it, it sounds funny, but in a relative term, 
a guy who's you know again six foot two, three hundred and forty pounds. You know, he'd be, he'd be considered on the, uh, you know, the lighter to smaller side of his comp- competition, again, at the world level. Um, again, as absurd as that might seem, it's true. Right. Because, uh, you know, at the most recent one, you have guys who are like li- literally six foot eight, you know, mid 400 pound guys. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, again, it's not just a case anymore in <laughs> sports of, um, you know, uh, conforming to a weight class and having a lot of muscle and strength. I mean, in strongman, as are, as we all know, I mean, so much of it is just having just, you know, just just pure mass, you know, uh, structural size, huge hands, you know, tall. Um, yeah, yeah. And, and of course, that's just being more and more pronounced as the years go by in that sport. Now that it's become, you know, in the last you know twelve fifteen years, a specific sport rather than kind of a sideshow, um, the way it was back when you know Franco Colombo and that kind of did it. So. Um, you know, I mean, because now guys train specifically for strongmen, which is where strongmen used to be kind of the domain of guys who are like ex-powerlifters or, like you said, wrestlers or all sorts of this kind of thing, you know. So, so uh, you know, and and again, I don't have any, uh, you know, I'm not gonna, certainly not going to blast out any names or, or anything like that, but... Um, Certainly, I've, I've, you know, in, in the circle of people that I've, I know and I speak with and so forth, I've heard, uh, you know, certainly tales of, you know, what this guy's doing, what that guy's doing, and I've heard, right. you know, that this guy uses, I mean, just recently I heard one of the, the guys is, um, he, they called him a five grammar a week, um, and another guy, they said that he, uh, you know, he lives, breathes, and dies off, you know, GH and all this type of thing. And again, uh, you know, we're not pointing fingers, we're not, um, you know, uh, judging any of these people. Cause well, and whatever. hey, you know what? It's, 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 we'll call it rumors anyway. It would be irresponsible yeah. to try to even use names because you don't know. You know, no, I mean, of course. It's, it's secondhand information, so it's better just not to go there anyway. Right. But it's still, right. it's still interesting to, to get vague ideas about the amount that's being used or how much it's getting used. Yeah. And, and, I, and I think a lot of like when you go onto a, a more bodybuilding centric message board or so forth, you always get a lot of people like you know um, who don't really understand you know pure strength sports as much as they would like to think they do. You know, calling those guys you know just a bunch of fat guys picking up rocks and stuff. And, and I mean the, the, that's actually a quote that I actually read not too long ago. Somebody saying there's just a bunch of fat guys picking up rocks. And yeah. I mean that. And this is again a guy that. You know, it's on a bodybuilding message board, so you at least hope that he would have a, actually have a semblance of an idea about you know strength sports. Well, certainly um, that's separatist. That's not exactly Iron Brotherhood mentality, yeah. is it? Well, no, and it, and it just it just paints that particular individual as being woefully ignorant to the point of embarrassment. I mean, well, it sounds like he's a knob. <laughs> well, <laughs> to uh, be honest, to, yeah. To, to not be subtle, yeah, he is pretty much a knob. But, um, but again, yeah, I mean. At, at that level, again, and these guys, I mean, even if you go back to, like, you know, the days of, like, uh, you know, Bill Kazmaier and those guys, I mean, he was considered, you know, beastly at, you know, 340, 345, and, which certainly still is. But again, I mean, and, you know, I can hear Phil kind of nodding there, because cause it's true. You look at the lineup in the last few years, and these guys are beyond gigantic. I mean, you're talking about... Just for, like I say, like I mean, all the, a few years ago, you know, you'd get like, maybe one or two guys that maybe stretched out at uh, 400 pounds. Now you're getting several guys that are like 430, 440. You know, you know, well, right, and well, that should make you raise an eyebrow, right? Yeah, I mean, well but, over six feet tall, which is fine, but I mean, oh yeah, yeah, and and you know, lifting and and just the performance aspect of it, what they're lifting, what they're moving, what they're pushing, just out, outrageous. Um, so you know, it's it's. 
as with any sport that becomes, you know, its own kind of entity and, you know, the influx of money or prestige or titles or um, whatever, you know, media attention, um, you know, you're, you're, you're attracting um, very competitive people. Um, who you know, and the gene pool gets bigger as far as the talent, and that's and, part of it. Yeah. And the talent that rises to that level are going to, again, as with everything else, seek out the advantages that they can find. And 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 to think that somebody at that level wouldn't consider what is available to him um, is just is just being naive. Um, well, let's so hear I, from Phil. Phil, yeah. did, did you, uh, you? You're pretty much in concurrence then that power sports are not just bodybuilding are. Uh, Really move to the GH arena. Yeah, I mean, I think I think the difference is a lot of it's dose dependent. I think um, it's not big at all cost in, in a lot of the sports, and you know, um, you can't have your joints fuse up. You can't have you know, and you can do that a bit and still hit a bodybuilding pose. Um, you know, in the sports, you still have to be able to do things. Uh, yeah, that's yeah. interesting. You've got to be able to move, and I think more of it from from what I've heard and seen, it's it's less of a a growth thing than it is a recovery thing. Right. Um, it's more performance based, just like the drug use is. Um, right. Yeah. It's it's just more for what you can do instead of how you look. Right. Um, sure, it doesn't hurt to be able to you know cram down six large pizzas and be four forty and a little leaner. Right. <laughs> well, and, and it's true. I mean, because I've seen e- even professional uh, powerlifters who, you know, they're like ripped. And I'm yeah. like, okay, you know, that's generally, those are two things that just don't naturally go hand in hand. You know, usually yeah, you're, you're going to carry some body fat when you're brutally strong, yeah. you know, and that does make you yeah. want it. Yeah. And, and that's one of the reasons, I mean, I, you know, I've said that many times. I mean, if you're a natural strength athlete um, and you really want to get to a, any sort of, you know, Elite level, generally speaking, you're going to have to accept some body fat. I remember, Rob, you and I had a discussion years ago, and I asked you, yeah. I don't know if you remember, but I said, you know, and we're tight so we can talk like this, but I said, how fat are you willing to become down the road? You know, are, uh, sumo wrestler fat? You know, what's it going to take? Because if you're going to compete drug free and you want to squat seven bills, you know, then there's going to be some trade-off there, you know? And I mean, so that's sort of a question that I think a lot of guys would have to wrestle with is, you know, if I am going to knock back five pizzas and that kind of stuff, and, and let's make no mistake, when the more you eat and the bigger you get, even if, if you know, a, a good proportion of that is fat, you're going to get stronger. Yes. You know, yeah. I mean, and so again, when you see guys that are 3% fat, you're like, oh, Okay, you know he's breaking the rule all over the place here. You know he's and not also, and also, he's not dieting. You know, and, and not to get into the because we've kind of discussed this to death, but just to make the point that you know the the advancements and evolution of lifting equipment has largely um, negated the need for some guys, even natural lifters, drug free lifters from having to be the size that we're talking about, Lonnie, because it's almost taking like the place of, you know what I mean? Well, um, it's like Phil was saying that if, if like, the GH is, is helpful for recovery, uh, and, you know, it, we all, but they have to think about athleticism all the time, sure. I think, unfortunately, some of the equipment removes portions of the athleticism. Right. right? I mean... Yeah. Well, certainly, yeah, yeah. I'm not not that really the powerlifting guys use too much of that, but of course they're still more athletic than like like Phil was saying, you know, doing a back double biceps shot or something. Well, I mean, and even when it comes to androgens and whatnot, I mean, you take too much and you get side effects from that. I mean, 
there's you know certain ones where you know you pretty much lose all cardio ability and but that doesn't matter on a bodybuilding stage you can go out there feeling like utter crap i've heard back in the day yeah i heard some uh bodybuilding competitor really big guys you know stuff like anadrol would make them strong as an ox but they would feel like crap all the time you know i'm like oh that just couldn't go when you have to you know say you got to go squat a thousand pounds <laughs> you're gonna have to still feel pretty damn good. Yeah. Oh, um, yeah. Yeah. But things like that have energy and. and, and if we do think about just just those back double bicep shots, though, Rob, you were talking earlier before we started recording about how you think guys are they're going so extreme they're burning out and they're sort of uh, they're falling apart and they're, they don't seem to have the career longevity in bodybuilding as much. So I mean, well, what kind of well, things? Well, you do- know. I, I, I've personally known um, Dave Palumbo and stuff, so I'm not going to tra- talk trash on the guy because he's always been a decent person to me. But um, you know, there, there's a, a phrase that's kind of become a catchphrase um, amongst people who follow these types of things. They, they call it Palumboism. Um, and if you look at the late, you know, the last couple competitive seasons of Dave Palumbo, you kind of see um, a change. Yeah, a, a change. You know, you know, almost like a thickening of of the the torso. Um, you know, to, to the detriment of the the overall aesthetics. Right. The um, leanness is still there, and that's the leanness the is part. still there. Yeah, you still got a lot of vascularity, but there seems to be almost a, a shrinking, loss of fullness of size of limbs. Um, generally, just a falling apart of the physique um, from big, full, proportioned, and you know, and, and aesthetic at least to, to a degree, to something that resembles. Almost something melting or or deteriorating from the inside. Well, and, and I'll tell you too. I, and again, I don't like to use a lot of names either because he's one of my boyhood heroes. But if you look at the physique of like Rich Gaspari, and you compare him to in his heyday when he when I think he actually should have beaten Haney one year, I mean he had the fullest. He looked like ready to burst. Yeah. Awesome. And even though he's gotten in shape uh, recently. He never looked like that again. And, you know, maybe you could just say, well, it's just youth, guys. Get over it. Well, maybe. But I've also seen people who they start this whole sort of uh, polypharmacy, whatever you want to call it, you know, get back into th- get into things later in life. And they don't seem to go stale and burn out. You know what I mean? It's like oh, they're yeah. starting fresh from square one. Like Even guys like Ronnie Coleman, you know, was a more late to the game guy when he really blew up. And he kind of went through this process too, unfortunately. Yeah. But he did it much later instead of much earlier, like maybe I guess Spari or some of those other guys have. But I mean, one of the things you and I were talking about, <laughs> Ronnie, was the whole idea of nerve damage. Um, you hear that bandied about a lot um, amongst people, bodybuilding fans and so forth. Um, and again, I, not being somebody who's an expert in those things at all. However, to look at, um, when that, you know, that accusation is applied to specific people saying, oh, there's nerve damage there, it's hard not to, after a while, believe that if it's not that specifically, it's something that's very close to that. Because, again, using Jay Cutler as, as a, as a, you know, a, how is it, you know, that all of a sudden, like, you know, he's all of a sudden, one of his stronger body parts is now shrinking. Um, you know, and it's not even, you know, the limbs aren't even shrinking symmetrically. Um, you know, you get a smaller here, small that, yeah. all, of a, all of a sudden the triceps are just, I mean, I see that all the time, by the way, triceps. Triceps be, seems to be the number one thing on advanced top level bodybuilding guys. That's the first to just That's suffer. an interesting observation. Uh, yeah, you yeah. just see triceps disappearing. It's very bizarre. Um, guys who once had big, full, massive triceps, all of a sudden it's like, 
what happened to the back of their arm. Um, and, and you see it, like, you know, like you, in the back, you'll see an ACE, uh, you know, somebody had a huge back, and all of a sudden you'll see, um, you know, the back starting to shrink. But like I say, it's not even symmetrical, right? It's one, one lat shrinking more than the other. Um, it, it, it's very bizarre. That um, would make you think <laughs> neural. You're right, because if it was endocrine, if it was purely like a lack of receptor responsiveness or something, then I, I know that's not, you know, that's highly debatable itself, but it would be more, it would be bilateral. It would be both sides, mm-hmm. you yeah. know, and if you're seeing weird stuff on one side versus the other, that suggests some sort of local damage, you know, yeah. tissue neural. damage of some sort. Or... Well, yeah. even even look at, because we were mentioning Ronnie Coleman, who, again, I mean, you know, during the best years of his Mr. Olympia reign, I don't think anyone's going to argue that he was he was easily one of the best of all time. Outrageous, um, yeah. In, in every conceivable way, from muscle bellies to shape to symmetry to conditioning to, I mean... And like I say, I know I've met and spoken with Ronnie several times. He's a he's a good guy, but again, you're looking at somebody who, again, you can apply a lot of these kind of observations towards. Um, you know, in the last few years, um, things shrinking, things disappearing. You can see things torn over here, things, and you're just and it really does. Again, to somebody who's a, an observer of this sport for so many years, you you just gotta kind of scratch your head and say, well, you know, what exactly is going on here? I think it's partly a threshold thing. Phil was talking about, you mm-hmm. know, like they push it so far, you just don't go back, or at least not very gracefully you don't. You know, whereas in the older days, you, you saw guys who were, uh, uh, you know, they they weren't 270 pounds in shape. They never got quite the GH gut or something like that. You see guys who are obviously, you know, androgen users, old school testosterone, Diana Ball, whatever it was, kinds of guys. And, you know, they're in their 70s and 80s now, and they seem to be more or less unscathed. And you're not going to see that with, like, the Flex Wheeler post-competition years. You know, I mean, these are people who are completely changed forever in a in a bad way, honestly. Absolutely. Yeah, I think I think you see it a lot more of that uh, wasting as well when we when you're talking bodybuilding compared to power sports, and I don't know. I think a lot of it is the strength aspect of it and the performance aspect of it uh, yeah. compared to the just just getting blown up on drugs. Right. Um, Absolutely. You know, you look at you go see Kazmaier today. How many years away from retirement, and the guy is still big. You know, he's a yeah. big imposing guy. Um, the the strength stays much longer, I think, than than say just you know the and the it may be muscle bellies and whatnot and yeah yeah and it just may be that there's less polypharmacy maybe it's they stick to the endocrine the growth or some IGF one but it's not quite the uh, menagerie the cornucopia of well and pharmacy. you know you come down to it as well and how much expansion and you know, muscle hypertrophy, a lot of that is, is due to just stuff being torn up and torn apart and filled back. How much of that can you, how much, how far can the body go, you know, before the balloon pops? Well, and I think like, especially, <laughs> you yeah, you, I mean, I'm sure there are powerlifters tearing muscles, but you see yeah. that mostly in bodybuilders, it seems like, at least to me, yeah. I could be off there. No, but. I was just talking to a kid in the gym the other day. I was saying 90 or more percent of all, you know, serious muscle tears that you see happen in bodybuilders and specifically bodybuilders who are on drugs and even more specifically bodybuilders who are on drugs and who are actually competitive and at various times of any given year, um, you know, getting body fat down to single digits, which leads me to something that I also want to bring up. I know the show's going to be winding down pretty soon, but I really want to bring this up because I always see, um, 
you know, like you're you're talking about Lonnie, why you see it more in bodybuilding. I think because competitive bodybuilders, specifically at the upper levels, um, you know, even regional, state, and up levels, they spend so much of their lifting career um, focusing at various times on getting their body fat so low um, that it, it's it, it's it. It causes in the long term all sorts of health complications. I think you're right. A metabolic Be- swing, your fast metabolism slow. Because yeah, because yeah. like what you were Thyroid, saying, like, drugs, like, we, like cause what down. you were saying 15 minutes ago. You were saying, Lonnie, you were saying um, the whole idea about you know how, which we all know, right? The whole accumulation of tons of muscle usually mm-hmm. comes with a certain amount accumulation of fat, and a certain amount of fat loss usually comes with a certain amount of loss of muscle, and and so the whole idea of what is judged. On a, on a grand level in, in a bodybuilding competition is these opposing things which, which are never, were never in nature specifically meant to coexist. Well, and I Huge think amounts Phil- of muscles, and, and it's just very, I think it just really over time, like you say, it accumulates the damage that you're doing in some way. And it, it manifests itself. And then when you start, like you say, you start throwing in the polypharmacy, you start putting all these kinds of things together. And now we're starting to see the results of all this extreme, <coughs> extreme. Right. Shorter um, careers. Yeah. Yeah. And I'll tell you what, I think Phil hit it on the head too. It, when with the powerlifting guys in the strength sports like Highland Games or what have you, there's still a demand for that muscle function. And that's in great contrast to what stories you've told me, Rob, about like guys like Paul DeLette, where you see him, you know, he's ripped to shreds at 270 and he's doing one plate on a pushdown machine. You know, and so the stimulus there, and again, I'm not making any calls, but my guess would be that 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 stimulus there is drugs as opposed to a stimulus that's a little bit more on the iron side when it comes to the power lifters. And and what you're saying is an important thing. Um, the whole, the idea that, again, in today's world with, you know, when you take somebody who's genetically so responsive to drugs, um, At that point, people argue, you know, on message boards and stuff, you see lots of arguments where people are like saying, well, um, you know, what's the better way to train? You know, because Dorian used to train this way, you know, more of kind of a Arthur Jones heavy duty type mentality versus Arnold, which is, you know, kind of, you know, the, uh, lots of sets, lots of volume kind of thing. And it's gotten to the point now to lend itself to what you're just saying, Lonnie, where it's like when you're on that much stuff and you respond so well to it that the training stimulus has to ju- it doesn't really matter. The threshold what is yeah is is almost non-existent. The threshold yeah, so is so low. So what they're doing in the gym is the specifics of what they do in the gym and how they you know approach weight training is less important than just the act of doing something within the realms of weight training to provide a stimulus. So like you say, the stimulus is more drug related than it is you know uh, work Mechanical. effort intensity. Yeah, which is what yeah. Phil was saying a few minutes ago too, right? And I think, and I think that is, I mean, and again, Phil was about 20 minutes ago saying something, and I thought of a quote that Franco Colombo once said many, many years ago. Um, despite himself, it was quite, <laughs> it was quite wise. You know, he was saying that you know, muscle built through heavy lifting is always more permanent than muscle that is that, that is just artificially or superficially blown up. You know, um, and, that's why and guys like Bill Pearl still look like at 80 years old. He's got structure. The man's lifted hard and heavy his whole life, you know, and or like even when I competed on a much lower level, 
you can see it. You can look at someone. Look, look at that guy's back. Look at his yeah. his glutes or his quads. That guy has spent some time under a heavy barbell. And you look at the guys who are balloon animals, and you know they're going to go away. Yeah, and it's almost like you say. And, and for those guys, literally taking a month or two off training results in them shrinking down till you can't even recognize them. Um, you know, but I mean, you take a guy like whatever, right? Like, like, like Phil was saying, uh, Bill Kazmaier. I mean, that guy's, you know, body has supported, hoisted, moved so much mountainous, you know, weight for, for over so many decades that, you know, that the guy could probably never lift the weight again in his life. Permanent. Right. And his frame would still be monster. Yeah. Uh, you know, I'll, I'll close with one thing here because we're, we're over again, but. I actually read a study uh, last year where they looked at the bone density of former weight trainers who no longer lifted, and it was still 5 or 10% higher than had they never lifted. So this is many years when they were done with their lifting careers, still permanently denser bones, you know, and that's, again, that's from the training. So, you know, to, the takeaway message, I, I'm, I'm certain I usurped that phrase from you, but the, the takeaway message for <laughs> the listeners is, is you know, um, whether or not you choose as an individual, um, a competitive athlete or not, to use any sort of you know chemicals or hormones, drugs, whatever, the point being is nothing still has come close to being able to take away the benefits that come through actually um, looking at the weight training activity itself as, as the being, essence. As right, the, that's as the essence. Of what, yeah, as the essence of what you're doing, and the essence of ultimately what's going to transform you into something that. You can proudly display to some degree for the rest of your life um, versus something. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So. That, and I think that's where, you know, I, I got to say that's where the strength sports is different than the than the bodybuilding world. A lot of the bodybuilding world, all they are trying to do is get large, and they're looking at the drugs for that. It, generally, the strength sports world, it's that you have a population that is in love with lifting things. Well, no, we, we got to be fair. There are, there are power bodybuilders like Dorian yes. Yates. Oh, yeah, yeah. You know, who's For sure. Yeah, and I want, yeah, because I do want to make that point that we're, yeah. we're not putting that, because I mean, certainly Lonnie and I come back, I mean, that, no, that's, yeah. that's our background. So, um, and there are extremely impressive, um, lifters in yes. the bodybuilding realm. We're, we're talking about, you know, that, that other kind of, other side of the coin of the guys who are don't and they are cropping up. Yeah, they are cropping yeah. up more and more. Of those. Yeah, guys. but I mean, I would, uh, all I'm getting at is that generally the, the people involved in strength sports were in love with the iron first and foremost. Yes, not in what it did to them. Right. <laughs> you know. Yeah. Yeah. So. yeah. They they were more con- they they like you say they they love the actual activity of lifting yes. stuff versus yes. the guy who only uses that as the means to the end. The end yes. being having the covers, having the chicks, having the supplement endorsement, having the the checks and the plastic trophies. Yeah. yeah. Just a love for lifting things. And everything that came everything that came after that was almost like icing on the cake. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Good show. Alright fellas. Alright guys. Uh, yeah. see you next week. Iron Radio is accepting donations. If you like what we do, the professors, the scientists, the bodybuilding show promoters, the athletes themselves in powerlifting and bodybuilding, um, please consider making a donation or maybe buying something from the ironradio.org uh, store. Uh, we also are accepting 
supporting members. So for $4 a month, which is frankly less than the bank sneaks out of your account in fees, you can step up and support a form of sort of public radio for the bodybuilding and powerlifting and strength community. Hey, IronRadio.org listeners, this is Lonnie Lowry, and I'm just bringing you a sneak peek only for Iron Radio listeners at this point. If you Google CRC Press, Lowry, L-O-W-E-R-Y, and Protein, you can be some of the first people on the planet to see this book. It's specifically for strength athletes, everything on the safety of high-protein diets, the efficacy, the dosing, the types practical applications and case studies. This is a textbook. It's not what I would call an industry book. This is not pseudoscience. This is the state of the art science. And if someone wants to critique you on your extra protein intake, this will be something you can hold up and say, this is what the literature says about stressed kidneys or bone loss or gout or dehydration or increased muscle mass over time or leanness or what types are best. This is the ultimate source in one place. Little disclosure here. I do make a single digit percentage of royalties on this book. It's such a low amount, however. Obviously, I've done it for that purpose. I did it because, like you, I want to have something I can hold up in one place that's modern literature instead of what a, perhaps a health educator might tell you about the benefits and the potential concerns, if there are any, on ample protein diets specific to a population like ours. Thank you. Hello, everybody. Phil Stevens here for IronRadio.org, StrengthGuild.com, and ChadAches.com to tell you about the Strength Refined Seminar with myself, Phil Stevens, and Chad Aches. Saturday, September 24, 2011, CrossFit Sin City, Las Vegas, Nevada. Strength Refined is a one-day course in refining your technique and proficiency in the squat, the bench, and the deadlift. It's going to be a long day. We'll squat, we'll bench, we'll deadlift, we'll do a Q&A, and then we're going to go heavy and go eat. For more information, go to www.strengthguild.com, click on the blog, go to Meets and Seminars, click on the Strength Refined Seminar, and it's all there. Hope to see you there. The Iron Radio Podcast and all of the audio on ironradio.org is for informational purposes only. If you're interested in starting a diet or exercise program, it's important to check with your physician. Also seek the help of registered dietitians, athletic trainers, and qualified exercise physiologists in order to make the progress that you need.